0: This podcast is brought to you by WorshipTrack. WorshipTrack is a worship planning software that's made by worship leaders for worship leaders. I guess those guys figured out how to code over there. It has features like scheduling, CCLI, song select integration, and it can be viewed from any device. No app needed. Now what really sets WorshipTrack apart from the other guys is its speed and simplicity. Rather than spending hours planning your worship or scheduling your volunteers, WorshipTrack is a fast software that's really just self-explanatory. I mean, it's so easy a caveman can do it. They're almost like the anti-software company over there in the sense that they really want you to spend more time with your team and less time behind a screen. That's such a novel idea. What will I ever do when I'm at Starbucks? I guess I'll have to talk to people. So, hop on over to WorshipTrack.com to start your free 30-day trial. That is WorshipTrack, T-R-A-C, dot com. And as always, don't forget to check out our blog, PrepareForWorship.com. You are listening to the Prepare for Worship podcast, your online resource to help you plan worship right. Today, we're going to talk about how to make your church sound better. I've got a special guest for this one, so let's do this. Today, I have Cade with us from Collaborate Worship. Uh, Cade has a lot of great content on there. If you haven't already checked out his website, I think even has a course on how to use the X32 for both beginners and experts. It's pretty nuts. Uh, But that being said, let's just go ahead and start this interview. Cade, welcome to Prepare for Worship. Hey, thanks for having me.
1: It's really a pleasure to be on the Prepare for Worship podcast.
0: Man, I'm so glad that we were able to make this happen. Uh, Cade, tell us about what you do.
1: So, my goal through Collaborate Worship is to help worship leaders and church sound techs become comfortable and confident in what God has called them to do. Mm -hmm. And I especially aim to help smaller churches because there's so many worship leaders and sound techs in this realm that aren't sure if what they're doing is really making a difference. And I just want to show them otherwise.
0: That's awesome, man. Uh, Now, obviously, you haven't been a a seasoned worship guy your whole life. Uh, Tell me about your personal experience as a worship leader. Uh, like, how did you get into it? And where are you currently serving? So
1: uh, I had no intention of becoming a worship leader ever. And then I can remember when I was 15, I was watching Hillsong United, one of the videos that they put out and yeah. man, it just it just hit me. Like, it's like the Lord told me, like, you're going to be a worship leader. And from that point forward is when I started pursuing becoming a worship leader. Okay. I had no skill up to that point. I was like, okay, you know, where do I start? And so what I did was I started a youth band. Our church didn't have one. So that just seemed like a logical place to start for me. And the church kind of liked it until we started doing songs that they weren't used to, you know, cause they were more the traditional. And then we were like bringing in the Hillsong United type yeah. of stuff. And they were like, this is not worship and this music does not belong in church. Did so. you
0: guys play take it all by chance? Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> awesome. Okay. we'll keep going, man.
1: So I just continued along that journey in the youth band tried to overcome, you know, the controversy between the music that we were doing and, you know, it was a great journey. I, I learned a lot in those times. I wasn't a very good worship leader then. Like I was the bossy worship leader that was getting onto the worship band all the time for not practicing. And, <laughs> you know, gosh, just, just a quick story. I can remember, like I had my best friend on the worship team and he was playing guitar and he showed up not prepared one Wednesday night. And dude i let him have it and i was like you're gonna sit down in that chair and you're not playing today because you didn't show up prepared what (laughs) i know it it is crazy so (laughs) if you read any of my posts on collaborate worship you'll see that i've learned some leadership techniques along the (laughs) way and i don't do that anymore but anyway funny starting point so anyway from then um i got married at a young age and um i think it was six months after i got married my dad said hey i'm starting a church do you want to come be the worship leader and I mean, I was 18 and full of passion and just ready to go. And so I said, yes. And so my dad and I started a church together with, I mean, there wasn't another church backing us. We were just from grassroots getting it going. And so that's where I still serve. Uh, The church is 10 years old now and just everything that I've learned along the way of starting from the ground up is what I put on Collaborate Worship.
0: Very cool. Uh, 10 years old. That's quite an accomplishment because most church plants after four years are gone. And uh, I I started with the church plan as well, and that was that one thing that was always looming in the back of our minds, like, man, if we can't get it together in about four years, this is, this is it. So, man, congratulations to you guys going 10 years strong. Hey, thanks, man. Well, obviously, we're here today to do more than reminisce about the past. Uh, we want to talk about why church sound is so hard and how to make it better. And I'm just going to jump right into it with this one. You know, I think one of the biggest challenges that we all face in our church sound is the critics, man. Uh, One thing we all have is that one person that seems to want to make their opinion known about how I should run the sound in our church. I can't tell you how many times I would get trapped after a service by that guy who would just overflow with their feelings about how the worship sounded. Sometimes they were right, uh, but most of the time, these type of people are just like trains. They just want to toot their own horn at every crossing that they see. Uh, Kate, how do you deal with these people who are in essence, backseat drivers? And how do you know when they're actually telling you something that you need to look into?
1: Okay. So first of all, you don't want to take it personally because the truth is there's always going to be opinionated people who want to be heard. So you might as well get used to listening, it, listening to it without taking it personal. hmm Then before you take action to resolve a complaint, it's best to shelve it until you actually hear the same complaint from multiple people. So I've witnessed a nonprofit organization implement loads of new procedures simply to accommodate one or two people. Mm -hmm. And the result of that was just wasted staff time, overly complicated procedures and unending frustration. Then this new procedure becomes the way we've always done it. And it's impossible to change all because of just one person's complaint. So my advice is don't let this happen to you. Instead, listen to the complaint, write it down, be friendly, and wait for someone else to express the same complaint before spending time searching for a solution.
0: Okay, well that's definitely a good way to keep yourself from wasting time uh, because the last thing you wanna do is spend your time and energy trying to fix a problem that's really not a problem, it's just one person's opinion of something. Agreed. Um, You know, after being at multiple churches, one of the most common complaints that I've heard, Cade, is that people just say it's too loud Uh, how do you handle this so
1: um in my years as a worship leader it tends that this complaint is often a result of people not being used to hearing those super low frequencies that come from subwoofers so you know don't worry because they're eventually going to get used to it and they'll probably end (laughs) up liking it like the rest of us (laughs) and then sometimes you know it really is too loud but this doesn't mean you need to pull down the main fader when someone perceives sound as too loud, it's not the overall sound, it's actually just a certain frequency range that they're perceiving as loud. Mm-hmm. So what you need to do is you need to analyze the frequency spectrum and find out what's going on in your room, find out that those frequencies that are sticking out and apply EQ to pull those down. So I've written a post on how to do this with your iPhone and mm. we'll put the link in the show notes.
0: Oh, very cool. Um, so kind of explain that just in a nutshell, how, how you do that with the iPhone.
1: So it's just this app that you open up and you hold it up in the room and it shows you what's going on in the frequency spectrum. So if you're, if like two to three, uh, kilohertz is sticking out way above everything else, then you'll know that you need to apply some EQ to cut out two to three kilohertz.
0: Very cool. Yeah. That's uh, those are things that most amateur sound people just don't know how to do. And if it's one of those things I've seen it firsthand when we've applied those things in our church plant, our room went from being this very, how do I put this super lively place, to actually somewhat controllable uh, despite uh, what we were working with, Uh, so that's awesome. Sometimes I'm fortunate enough to get some honest feedback from people who will tell me more than just, it's too loud. Uh, It seems like the biggest offenders of loudness seem to always be either the drums or the electric guitar. How can I harness these instruments to keep them from overwhelming my mix?
1: So just like the subwoofers, this can often be a result of people not being used to the drums or guitars in church. So, you know, give them some time and I bet they'll get used to it and end up enjoying it. But, you know, there are those times when the drums are too loud, especially if you're using acoustic drums in a smaller room. You know, there's a couple ways to fix this. First, you want to try some different drumsticks like Hot Rods or Lidwish Solutions Alter Tones. Mm If that doesn't work, you can use the plexiglass drum shield, but just be sure to put some sound absorption panels behind the drums or the shield really won't make that much of a difference.
0: Yeah, and I've seen a lot of churches do that where they'll put up a shield and the shield is basically just taking all the sound and bouncing it off the back wall and it's making everything even worse than it was before.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's why you wanna put that sound absorption behind so that when it hits that shield, it bounces back and then it's absorbed into your sound panels.
0: Gotcha. Now I'm, I'm going to kind of throw this random question at you just because, you know, I'm always trying to help out church plants and everything that I do. And church plants don't have huge budgets uh, when it comes to buying materials, especially when it comes to like sound absorption and everything. Uh, what are some materials that you can think off of the top of your head that someone could throw behind a drum set that would actually help out with that sound?
1: So you can go to pretty much any hardware store like Lowe's or Home Depot and pick up some rigid fiberglass insulation okay, and, and that'll work well. Um, I also have a post on Collaborate Worship about making DIY uh, sound absorption panels and those are about, you know, like it's less than half the cost of buying them already made. So oh, wow. I can give you a link to those as well so we can put it in the show notes.
0: Awesome. Very cool. So one, one of my favorite bands lately uh, has been All Sons and Daughters. Uh, do you mm-hmm. listen to any of their stuff, man? Love it. Yeah, they have some good stuff. And you know, it's not that their their tone is what makes me like them, even though they have an awesome tone. And it's not even the fact that they have super well-written lyrics, uh, even though their lyrics are super scripturally sound. Uh, it's the fact that I can hear every single vocal in all their music, whether it's a live album I'm listening to or one of their studio albums. And I think one of the worst things that can happen as a worship leader is you have this awesome worship set. And as soon as you get done doing it, You have someone come up to you and say, man, I I couldn't understand a single thing that you said. And man, that's terrible because the lyrics are like the most important thing in worship, I feel. Um, So what are some things that you've found that help you kind of overcome this problem of people just not being able to quite understand what you're saying or singing?
1: You know, so first of all, if you get complaints about not being able to hear the vocals, they're probably legitimate. Mm -hmm. The lead vocal is the most important when it comes to church sound. Otherwise, I mean, how are people supposed to sing along? And actually, I recently went to the Seeds Conference at Church on the Move, and they were talking about how in one of the sound classes, like, if you can't hear the lead vocal, then you are not mixing sound very well. So it's good to hear that from one of the bigger (laughs) churches, you know, because sometimes... You know, you think you know the lead vocal is important, but is it really that important? But so to hear it from a bigger church, you're like, yeah, you know, if, if you can't hear the lead vocal, then you got some things to fix. Yeah. So, you know, luckily there's a few simple things you can do to keep your vocals on top of the mix. And the first thing you want to do is to make sure that gain is set correctly for each vocal. So some mistake gain is volume control, but it is actually a regulator that allows you to get everything on the same playing field before it travels through the rest of your mixer. So simply setting your gain right is going to improve your mix tremendously. Okay. We'll post a link to this in the show notes to an article on how to set gain, So you can make sure that you're doing it right. Cool. So another thing you want to do is also use a low cut filter on every vocal. Sometimes it's called a high pass side note, high pass and low cut are the same thing. And you want to set this somewhere around 120 Hertz. This really helps clear things up by taking the super low frequencies out of the vocal leaving that space for the bass guitar and the kick drum Mm -hmm. and the last thing i want to mention is that you should use compression on vocals there's simply too much dynamic range in a vocal to let it run free so a good starting point is setting your ratio to three to one and then dialing in the threshold until the average amount of gain reduction is around six db i can also post a link to in the show notes with a more in-depth article on setting compressors for vocals
0: all right Uh, One thing you'd mention, uh, you know, using that low cut filter around 120 hertz, I think a lot of times I've seen amateur sound guys, you know, running in a live church sound situation where they won't do that cut and they'll put it more towards like 60. And man, you're just stripping away the clarity of those vocals when you do that. Um, People think, you know, well, you want to get the whole spectrum of the vocal so you can hear the lows. It's one thing in a like a podcast setting, what we're doing now, you don't want to use that type of filter. But live sound, that's a whole other beast. And you need to be able to get that clarity and not let that vocal just sit there and drown out all the other instruments.
1: For sure. And this was actually confirmed at a recent sound conference I went to called Mix U with Andrew Stone and a lot of the other big guys that are out there mixing for for big bands like Chris Tomlin and things like that, mm-hmm. one of the guys said he's like, Man, if all I have is a low cut filter, I can really create a a great mix and so that's really a confirmation because wow. I mean I've noticed in my church that I mean the low cut filter makes a huge, huge difference, but to hear it from the big guys that they do the same thing that I do at my small church like just really you know brings it home and makes it make sense.
0: man, yeah, it makes you want to give yourself a pat on the back like, man, I'm actually doing stuff right
1: right <laughs> definitely good to get that confirmation
0: well, that's great stuff. Uh, Tell me this, you know, how does the size or even like the build of a church affect how you would run the sound in it? Uh, Personally, I found that running sound in smaller churches can be the hardest, man, Uh, especially when you're running an acoustic set. Uh, What's your take on this?
1: So the size of your church may determine the level of equipment you get to use, but it should not determine the quality of your sound. So regardless of what you have available, you can always improve your sound by learning how to use your learning how to use what your equipment has to offer. Regardless of what you have available, you can always improve your sound by learning how to use your equipment. For example, every mixer has a gain knob for every input channel, and simply knowing how to set gain can really improve your sound. So take what you have, make the most of it. That's what I would do.
0: And I think what you just said is huge, man. Um, I have been at many churches, both serving and just kind of being a bystander and I've seen them run some of the best equipment that money can buy. It was almost like, you know, the church gave the guy a $50,000 gift card to Sweetwater and said, have fun. And, uh, you know, some of these churches I went to, their sound was frankly terrible. Uh, for some reason, it's easy to get into this mindset that buying the best audio equipment will make you sound great. And I just want to laugh and cry at the same time when I see a small to medium sized church spend, you know, 30, $40,000 on audio equipment, and they can't even touch my home church that spent a fifth of that on all of our audio equipment and our visual equipment. Um, would you say that most churches probably spend too much money on audio equipment and not enough on training just capable people? You
1: know, I wouldn't say that churches spend too much on audio equipment because I've seen a lot of worn out systems. But churches definitely run to new equipment to fix problems when investing in training is actually the right solution. Actually, churches tend to hold off on having great sound until they can have some certain kind of equipment when really all they need to do is learn how to use what they already have.
0: Yeah, that's big. Uh, Now, I'm a resource guy, and I love to have tangible things that I can really read and apply uh, to make me better at my craft do you have any great resources that you can point the listeners to regarding how to make, you know, your church sound better?
1: So of course at collaborateworship.com, you can find articles on all the stuff we talked about today. And really there's lots of great sites out there that are serving worship leaders and church sound techs. So if you follow collaborate worship on Facebook, you'll be introduced to those as well. Cause we don't only just share our own content through Facebook, but we share others as well.
0: Fantastic. Uh, I noticed on your site that you offer courses on the Behringer X32. Uh, Can you tell me more about that?
1: Yeah, we have two courses on the X32, an essentials course and a mastery course. Both contain the training you need in video format to really get comfortable using the X32. And it also enables you to train new volunteers with ease. You'll find a link to these courses at collaborateworship.com. I
0: want to give you a takeaway. Do, Do you have anything else you can think of at the top of your head that can really just kind of help people as far as you know, running music in their church or I don't know, any just sort of hacks that you've found that helped you over the past couple of years?
1: You know, so I think the common theme in our discussion today is um, to take what you have and make the most of it. Mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's common for church sound techs to feel like they have to know it all or pretend that they know it all. I, I certainly remember feeling that way, too. But the truth is, I mean, we all start knowing nothing and then we just go on this journey of learning these things and improving our sound. So I would just encourage everybody out there to commit to the journey, dig in, really learn some things and you know, just continually improve your skill. And you know, don't worry about those things that you're missing right now because you'll fill in the gaps later.
0: Awesome. Well, Kate, I appreciate you taking the time to hang with us here. We're gonna have to have you on again soon to talk about some other stuff. For sure, I'd love to. A big thanks to Cade for taking time to share some of his knowledge with us today. I'm gonna put all that stuff in the show notes that we talked about, so that way you have an easy way to check out the resources and some of the stuff that Cade has to offer on Collaborate Worship. Uh, We are learning so much here at Prepare for Worship, and we are just getting started. Stay tuned for more podcasts as we continue to interview some other really cool people. And also check out our blog, prepareforworship.com, where we've got a lot of great material—not only from us, but from others that we share—of just things that can help you be a better worship leader/slash be a better leader.